Hello and welcome to episode 100 of Making Media Now, the Filmmakers Collaborative Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Azevedo. Joining me on this episode is documentary filmmaker Sonia Kennebec. Sonia and I discuss her latest film, Reality Winner, a documentary that presents the incredible true story of Reality Winner in her own words. Filmed over five years, this is the only documentary about the young NSA whistleblower who exposed Russian interference in U.S. elections and went to jail for it. With exclusive access to Reality Winner and the media outlet involved in her arrest, this film also reveals FBI evidence that has never before been released. Pointedly, the film poses the question, would you risk your freedom to protect democracy? Here's the film's trailer. My name is Reality Winner. I'm an airman, a veteran, and I was convicted under the Espionage Act. An Air Force veteran who had a top-secret security clearance leaked this secret NSA report about a Russian military cyber attack days before the election. Winner was threatened by the sight of 11 mostly armed federal agents during that home search. Wally Taylor. Hey, how are you? I didn't realize that it was about to become a four-hour chess game for my life. Bradley, can you guess how many people might have printed out that document? That document has made it outside, obviously. We're here. Obviously. She claimed to hate America. Imagine that you're talking to your own sister, and they will find exchanges between you to show that you're a danger to the United States of America. She would have been caught, even if, you know, we had disguised the certain aspects of the document. They gave them the envelope information and where it came from. What the heck? She was the quintessential example of an insider threat. There will be others, no matter how harsh this gets. And that's the longest sentence ever imposed for this kind of violation. Ironically enough, the first thing that people forget about this story is that I am a real person. I really thought that the whole world can be changed for the better with one deed or one action. And that's how we got here. Reality Winner will be available for video on demand streaming beginning on October 31st. Sonia Kennebec is an independent documentary filmmaker and investigative journalist. Foreign Policy magazine recognized Sonia as one of the 100 leading global thinkers of 2016, and she was also selected as one of the 25 new faces of independent film in 2016 by Filmmaker magazine. Making Media Now is sponsored by Filmmakers Collaborative, a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting media makers from across the creative spectrum. From providing fiscal sponsorship to presenting an array of informative and educational programs, Filmmakers Collaborative supports creatives at every step in their journey. To learn more, visit filmmakerscollab.org. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please do follow and share. Now on to my conversation with Sonia Kennebec. Hello, Sonia Kennebec. Welcome to Making Media Now. Thanks for having me. I actually should be saying welcome back to Making Media Now. I had the privilege of speaking with you and you, and Inez Hoffman, your uh, producing partner, a couple of years ago about a film that you had made called Enemies of the State. But we are here today to talk about your documentary called Reality Winner. 
And I want to start off by asking you, Sonia, who is Reality Winner? So Reality Winner is um, a real person, which you always have to mention because her name is a bit unusual. So Reality's father named her um, Reality because he wanted to have a real winner. And that's why she's named Reality Winner. And Reality was um, an NSA contractor in 2017. She was 25 years old at that time. She was in Augusta, Georgia. And she came across a classified document about Russian election interference. And that was at a time when there was so much discussion in, in the media, kind of back and forth, if you know the Russians were really interfering in our elections, if that's true or not true. So she saw that document that actually proved that there was an investigation. And so she she took that document and she mailed it to a media outlet um, called The Intercept. And you know, basically to blow the whistle, to become a whistleblower, to inform the public about this important information. And our film is about what happens next, um, mm -hmm. which is the FBI came to her doorstep, interrogated her and arrested her. And how did you become aware of her story? And what was it about her story that made you think this is a story that I want to share, I want to tell, I want to investigate? I guess I have a bit of an expertise in national security whistleblower stories. I've yes, done, you do seem to. <laughs> <laughs> I've done a, a few films um, about whistleblowers now. So my first um, feature documentary, National Bird, was about drone whistleblowers. And the second film, Enemies of the State, also is in the national security space. It's, it's, it's a bit of a more twisted story. But when reality's case was first in the media, um, you know, when her arrest was announced, I, I paid attention to it immediately. And so did my producing partner, Ines Hofmann-Kanner, because we've been covering these type of stories and we know how rare these cases are. It's very, very rare that people who are within the system decide to become whistleblowers and basically risk their freedom. And and just to um, specify here, I think it's important to understand that whistleblowing means exposing waste, fraud, abuse, government misconduct. So it's not, you know, just leaking a document mm -hmm. for personal purposes, but by definition, a whistleblower is doing this in the public interest. And um, yeah, so when we first read about her story, we thought, wow, this is big. <laughs> this is huge. This is about election interference. It's about you know, democracy. And, and it's, you know, a national security whistleblower, which, you know, they, they, there are not many of them. And so we paid attention. And then my producing partner encouraged me to fly down to Georgia to attend one of the pretrial hearings. And I was very surprised, if not shocked, how few national journalists were there to cover reality's case. Because it is so relevant, I expected there would be camera teams and national, you know, journalists from national media outlets. And there were only a handful of, you know, mostly independent journalists who were covering her case. So we thought we have to be there. We have mm -hmm. to bear witness to it. We have to record it because it's such an important case. 
You mentioned uh, just a little while ago when we were introducing who Reality Winner was that she was an NSA contractor at the time that she acted as a whistleblower by sharing this document with the publication called The Intercept. But before being an NSA contractor, she was part of the U.S. military. She was in the Air Force. Uh, Share with our listeners a bit about her background in the Air Force. Yeah, so Reality trained as a linguist. Um, she speaks um, um, Farsi, Dari, um, and Pashto. And she, yeah, she enlisted, even though she had, you know, you know, she was coming out of rural Texas and she, you know, she, she has, you know, family that had served in the military, but she actually had um, what her father shares in the film, um, a very appealing other option. She could have had a full scholarship mm-hmm. to go to college. And she decided to serve because, um, number one, she really wanted to be part, you know, of the real world and, you know, didn't want to be in, in school anymore. But she also wanted to serve because she, she believed in, you know, doing something good and, um, and for, you know, like really believing. I think her whole family believes in service. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that was really infused to, in, in, into her early on. So that's why she enlisted. And she also always wanted to learn languages. And that was an opportunity that she knew about where the military would be an option for her to, to learn languages. I believe that she actually started even in high school to learn, you know, start learning Arabic by herself. So she, she's always had this like interest in the world and other languages. And, um, when she was in the military, though, she started working in the drone program, which I know a lot about through my previous work. Um, it is, um, you know, as, as, as many people, you know, a lot of public coverage has now shown a controversial mm-hmm. program because you, you engage in a war that, um, is halfway across the world. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a very, very big, big topic, but, um, she had all these different experiences, I think, informed her decision to then become a whistleblower to she, you know, there, there's this thread in her life that I've seen by you know, just following her biography and her story that she she does believe in doing something that you know is morally right, even if it's wrong by the law. When your story begins, when the documentary begins, uh, we're, we're sort of living real time with reality when the FBI first visits her. What prompted their visit and how did you gain access to the actual audio transcription of their interrogation of reality? I know it was not easily acquired. Yep, no. <laughs> to start with um, your last question, it was not easily acquired at all. Uh, so we got the original audio recording of the FBI interrogation, which is exclusive to our film. And it took my producing partner and me um, you know, around two years to get our hands on this um, interrogation recording because the FBI didn't want to give it to us. We, we filed early on when we started making the film, we filed Freedom of Information Act requests for specifically for that interrogation recording, but also for other um, evidence of her case file. And the FBI declined. And, um, I, I remember when I got, you know, <laughs> the, 
um, rejection that I, you know, I was writing the appeal because I said, you know, there's nothing in there that is, um, you know, classified, or if there is, they can redact it. So there were multiple options for them to give us the the recording and we appealed to the um, department of justice the department of justice actually sided with us with our film team and the fbi still did not comply with the direction and withheld um, the um, materials illegally and then we filed a lawsuit so um Ines and my small production company we wow. filed a lawsuit against the fbi yeah and we won and you won so, and yes, that, we, I mean, that adds a layer of verisimilitude and drama to your film then. And as you say, it's exclusive to your film. Yes. That, that's really remarkable. And it's really an important document because so rarely do you get access to an FBI interrogation that is recorded where you can hear the tactics, you know, how like the the FBI has an interest in not disclosing it um, to to the public because there are instances where, you know, they might just not look that, you mm -hmm. know, good. And what you can hear on this 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 tape is that the way they were, you know, coming up to her and 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 it, you know, it, it actually shows a lot of the power dynamics. So they completely surprised her. And uh, it was 11 male FBI agents coming to a woman, a 25-year-old woman who lived alone in her house. And they took her to a back room of her home where they interrogated her for hours. Mm -hmm. So, you know, all of that already put her in a very vulnerable position, in a very powerless position. She was up. We actually in the film we filmed in that specific interrogation room and you can see how small it is she was with a back to her wall the two much taller agents were in front of her and and then they were you know increasingly you know increasing you know increasing the pressure on her and um yeah you can hear it all on the on the tape the you know what started as a nice conversation about you know her dogs think quickly turned and at no time did the agents actually say to her you know you're free to leave or you know they never read her miranda rights so that's why this this evidence is so important for um the film and the public to to hear your film also features up close and personal interview with reality given everything that she had been through how did you win her over? How did you gain her trust and therefore that access? So I think what really made the difference for reality to give this extraordinary interview after her release, she was so candid and thoughtful and reflective and, and really vulnerable as well, which I, you know, it, it was a side that, I think she doesn't show very often to 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 people outside of her inner circle. And the reason is that we were there, that we mm -hmm. covered her case for such a long time that we we just stuck to it. You know, we showed up right. and not many people, you know, did during this this time. Not many journalists, I think. Um, 
her mother in particular, Billy Winaday, was was really able through a lot of work to get um, a public following and attention for her daughter. But initially, there was not a lot of reporting around her pre-trial hearings. And that's what we did. We filled that gap. We were there at the pre-trial hearings. We documented a story of her family while she was effectively silenced. She wasn't allowed to to give interviews while she was in jail for over a year during the pretrial detention and then later on in prison. So that really made a difference that we showed up. As a documentary filmmaker, when you enter a story like this, there's, you know, there's there's a number of sort of concepts that are being put under the microscope. The whole concept of what does it mean to be a whistleblower? Uh, what or, what what are the strengths or perhaps the deficits of uh, engaging with something like the Espionage Act? What checks do you put on yourself to maintain a certain neutrality, I guess, but also the perspective that, you know, one person's whistleblower is another person's traitor and one person's traitor is another person's patriot. That's a really great question because I make my films for a wide audience. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not an activist filmmaker. I come from a journalism background. And I think that also makes my you know my job and in, in covering these types of very controversial stories easier because just from my background but also my personality i'm a person who who just goes into every story open-minded i do a lot of research and i always research in all directions and i'm you know i'm very much like you know you can see it from this perspective or that perspective and i do think that it's you, you can see it in, in my films as well. And I, I'm very honest and open about that when I approach my participants. I actually say to them that my approach to filmmaking is journalistic. I will you know, research and investigate independently, and I will try to cover all sides of the, the story, which um, you know, everyone who's participated in my film has actually really appreciated. And it's, you know, I... I think there are different types of documentary films. Like I think it's it's important that films that are, you know, made for impact, that have um you know, that come from, you know, a more um, you know, activist perspective have their their space. They're incredibly important and they mm-hmm. belong to our, you know, our our society as much as as any other um reporting. But I've chosen for myself to make these films that have a journalistic approach where I go in and I document what's happening and what you see, you know, I don't have commentary in in my films. So you hear as well, you know, you hear from reality and her family. You also hear quite at length from the prosecution um, in their their, press conferences. You hear public statements from um, government officials, from um, former President Trump. So it's really meant to give a full picture Mm -hmm. and for people to decide for themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, this is how I view reality story. 
Yeah, I don't want to deliver any spoilers, so to so to speak. But reality story is in the public domain. It's you know easily um, the 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 bare bones of it are easily uh, arrived at. But suffice it to say, for a number of reasons that you go into detail um, around in your film, uh, reality does plead guilty. And talk to us a little bit about what the um, uh, what the consequence for pleading guilty was for her. Yeah, so um, she held out for a very long time. She um, she was she pleaded not guilty initially, and she was held in pretrial detention for more than a year mm-hmm. in a county jail that was not set up for long-term detention. So that was incredibly difficult for her. And um, and people, you know, I, I really hope that by now a lot of people have heard about Reality Story, but what this film really shows is what happened as it unfolded. And part of it, and that's what Reality talks about in the film as well, was her mental health was degrading substantially in that jail because mm-hmm. it was often under lockdown. She couldn't do her workout. She speaks openly in the film how she's been struggling with um, bulimia and depression. And part of her um, way to stay healthy is going outside and doing her training. And she was often forbidding to do that. So she she was doing so badly. And at some point, I think she just couldn't survive that way any longer. And she decided to change her plea and plead guilty. And um, she pleaded guilty to one count um, under the Espionage Act. It was also, you know, just to to say there was one document that she had disclosed about Russian election interference. The Intercept published five pages of it. And, um, and the document had led to election reforms, in fact. So it actually did something good. And so, yeah, when she pled guilty, um, one count under the Espionage Act can mean up to 10 years in prison. Reality received um, 63 months in prison, which was the longest sentence a media source has ever received in a federal court. So it was her sentence was highly unusual Mm -hmm. and extremely harsh. And if I'm not mistaken, the document that she was convicted or that she pled guilty to uh, leaking is actually now publicly available. Yes, yes. You can um, search for the document online and read it. And it's um, if, if people want to kind of deep, dig deeper into the topic of election security, uh, you can also compare it to what has been revealed in, you know, in the Mueller report. Right. Um, kind of compared, you know, that came out later, but compared to that, I think there was a lot more information in the Mueller report. So it is, you know, when you just look at the information that she disclosed and wonder if it harmed in any ways, you know, national security, what the prosecution claimed, I would make the argument that the Mueller report had much more of this type of information. Information. And at the end of the day, it was really about um, 
the Russians, you know, attempting to spearfish and and trying to get access to uh, you know an, a software company that was providing you know so like voting software as well as local election election officials, and that information that she disclosed almost immediately mm-hmm. led to um, hearings and um, and efforts to make the 2020 election more secure. Mm-hmm. Uh, your film also brings up some of the controversy around the Espionage Act itself and uh, makes mention that uh, uh, political figures of both Democrats and Republicans are lobbying for its reform. Uh, what do you think is behind that effort? Yeah, so the film actually is extremely timely because uh you know, just a year ago, former President Donald Trump was also searched under the same espionage act mm-hmm. that reality was searched under. And um, he was indicted as well because during that search, uh, one the crucial FBI- difference being one document versus more than 11,000, however. Exactly, exactly. So they found a lot of documents. Um, that um, Trump should have not have, you know, should have not had at this place, and uh, many of those documents were um, highly classified documents. So that I think led to um, you know more discussion around the Espionage Act because there are many other laws on the books that you could use in a case, especially like. In a case like Reality Winner, where it's one single document and you could say mishandling classified information, you know, misuse of a government computer. There, there are multiple ways to, um, you know, to punish someone who disclosed just one document. In, in the case of Donald Trump, of course, you know, we are talking about way more documents and some documents that were classified at, you know, the, the highest levels. Um, sure, and we're also but, talking about a situation where those documents were uh, subpoenaed, where they were sought, uh, where ample opportunity to return them was given, and then fabrications were created around saying, oh, I, I returned them all via his lawyers. Yes, yes. And I can highly recommend reading um, the indictment of Donald Trump. It's 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 fascinating. And I think people can then judge for themselves what they think about uh, his his case. But, you know, because the the Espionage Act, I think, has been used in such a politicized way to go after media sources and whistleblowers. And I really just want to, you know, repeat, like as a journalist, as mm-hmm. journalists, we re- rely on sources. Some of the most important information that the American public wanted to know that now historically, like the disclosures of Daniel Ellsberg, that are uh, now people know how important it was to have that information that came from whistleblowers. And all of a sudden, you know, journalism is under threat by using the Espionage Act. Um, but I think it had been, you know, also very politicized. And now we have members of both political parties who are saying, oh, we should overthink this law because it was never written for this purpose. It's from 1917 and it actually was 
written, you know, to to um, come after like German saboteurs and like spies, foreign spies, like never to go after people who were actually media sources within this country trying to do something good. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned uh, two of your uh, earlier films, National Bird and Enemies of the State, and there is a connective thread uh, through all three of these films. I'm curious as to what is it about that inter interconnection between governments and government uh, protecting their citizens, but governments also perhaps surveilling their citizens and those individuals that get caught up in that in that web? Why do those stories feel so necessary for you to tell? Well, I think they are necessary for our society to know, to understand where our freedoms are under threat. Mm -hmm. And I think if you, you know, walk on the street and, you know, ask people of their opinion of press freedom, most people would strongly support a free press and, you know, government transparency and all these, these values that this nation has been, you know, build on or many people believe it's been built on this and what i have been seeing in my job as an investigative filmmaker is that it's coming increasingly under threat that when you come after media sources you also come after a free press and you go after you know investigative and and journalism journalism in the public interest so that is really what whistleblowing and source protection is is all about it's it's not about you know protecting people who want to do harm but protecting people who are disclosing government misconduct mm -hmm. and i think there should be protections because otherwise our media and you know cannot function in this way as you know a, a safeguard to democracy as you know, an institution that keeps, you know, you know, government misconduct in, in, in check, you know, to expose corruption, mm -hmm. you know, all these functions that are so crucial to to really have a healthy democracy. You know, you mentioned Dan Daniel Ellsberg uh, a little while ago, who leaked the Pentagon Papers that revealed the government's policy, Vietnam policy, which was running counter th to the public positioning. It seems that history tends to be kinder to in their verdict around whistleblowers than maybe contemporary audiences are. And as you have followed reality story over these past five years or so, what ha what have you sensed around public perception, public knowledge of and public perception of uh, of what reality winner has gone through? I, I definitely have seen a change. I think it started out with people, um, first of all, not knowing about her case because mm -hmm. there, you know, there were a few articles, but I think they were mostly, um, read by people who are already working in the space and were paying attention. And, you know, because there wasn't this ongoing reporting while she was facing, you know, basically by herself, um, you know, just with the support of her family, this extraordinary, um, court case. And, you know, the, the, the pretrial hearings where the prosecution was really coming after her with like the full force of the government with surveillance, with, um, really a very harsh treatment and not letting her out of jail. 
and um and that has changed over the years i think um more more recently oh and initially there were some you know reports also on you know and like the late night news where people were just making fun of her name Right, and right. I think because her name is so unusual, right. um, that's what, you know, people were picking up on. And, um, yeah, and it's, you know, I think this, you know, our film should also remind people that there's a real person behind it. Most you know, definitely. it's not just a name, but it is a, a human being. A real person and a real family. Your your film does just a, a, a really wonderful job of exposing how out of nowhere, an event can come and, and and just go off like a bomb in the harmony of a family. Harm, uh, uh, reality's uh, mother, her sister, her stepdad. In uh, your in your 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 film, really, they're more than just peripheral players in this plight. Yeah, yeah, and it really turned like this one action turned their lives upside down forever. So that's also something I think that people can maybe relate to. You know, you don't know what your you know kids are doing, what what decisions they are making, and all of a sudden you can become you know in you know you can um, you know yeah be in the center of a situation like this where you are up against you know the U.S. government because your child. Um, tried to do something that she thought was was right and good for the American public. Um, but yeah, doing the, you know, I, I would say in the last few years, there has been more attention for a case definite theater play was based on her FBI interrogation transcript. Um, and then based on a theater play, um, there was a movie made mm -hmm. out of it. That's and where Sydney Sweeney plays reality winner. Exactly. And if I'm not mistaken, the uh, the script of that play is entirely the transcript, the interrogation interrogation yes. transcript. It's it's really yes, it's it's very fascinating, and I think that um, it's it was a great idea to do that because the the script itself, um, or you know, the, no, sorry, the trans. So it was a great idea to do that because the. The transcript, the FBI interrogation is very dramatic. And I think it's a very good way to bring this story that, you know, is a political story to a much, much wider audience. Right. And I think, um, you know, our films complement each other so well because in, in the fiction film, you can see that artistic depiction of how you, you know, an artist, the director, Tina Satter, envisioned how the interrogation took place just based on the transcript. And our documentary provides the context around it. You know, what was, yeah. what was reality thinking, you know, in that moment? What was her motivation? Why did she confess? You know, it actually now provides that layer where she is for the first time able to share what was going on in her and um, combined with the original audio of her interrogation. Absolutely. And having seen both, obviously having seen your film uh, and having seen uh, reality, the uh, Tina Sater's uh, uh, film, you hit the nail on the head. It's so true because they because they do stick to the uh, transcript of the interrogation. As a viewer, you are asking yourself, what is she thinking? Is she nervous? Is she is she covering this up? Is she really just, you know, uh, pretending to be more chill about this than she is? And then your film wonderfully 
fills in uh, all of that missing context. And, you know, they're 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 certainly amazing companion pieces. But your documentary is by design far more uh, comprehensive. Um, I know that the month of October is going to be a huge one for your film. So share with us a, a bit of what's going on. And as importantly, when this film uh, is going to be available for the fullest possible public consumption. Yes, so this month is very exciting for us because we are going to release the film first in theaters and the very first premiere is with reality winner in person. And what we decided to do is because she's still under supervised release, so she cannot travel um, without permission outside of a, of a small radio, such a radius that she now lives in. And so we decided to bring the film to her and the premiere to her. So we are going to go to Corpus Christi, Texas, which is you know, not far from where she lives now, and present the film and do a live Q&A with her on October 7th. And then on October 11th, we have the New York City premiere at IFC Center. We are doing a full Oscar qualifying run. We have like special events on um, October 11th, October 12th um, with Reality's family. And then we are going to Los Angeles where we're also having a few special events. Um, Rosie O'Donnell is going to moderate one of our Q&As. Alex Winter is going to moderate another one. And then we also have a week-long run. We are in the Bay Area as well. Um, we're working on one or two other screenings um, that you know I hope are going to work out. And then on October 31st, uh, the film is going to be widely available so it's going to be on video on demand itunes amazon so please look out for it and and share your thoughts absolutely and we'll i will make sure that in the program notes for this podcast episode all of that information is included um the film is reality winner and i've been speaking with the film's director sonia kennebec sonia thank you for your time it's been a pleasure speaking with you again thanks for having me again